Tiger fans, welcome to the official Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club podcast, bringing you all the latest news, updates, and buzz surrounding your mighty Jackson State Tigers. But first things first, be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast, Apple users, rate, and review the show, and everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook, it all helps the cause, which is the I love, Jackson State University. I'm Charles Bishop tonight. Uh, I'm going to be hosting this podcast, and we have our staples in the podcast. Uh, of course, welcome back, Mike B. What's going on? And we also have Christopher Darrell Neely. Welcome back, my buddy. I appreciate you, Chuck. Glad to be here. And tonight we have a guest. Uh, he is no stranger to uh, the HBCU media. He's one of the leading voices in HBCU media, a longtime observer of, of HBCU athletics. He is the founding editor and publisher of uh, HBCUsports.com. Ken Rashad, welcome to the 1400 Club. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Sure thing. Well, guys, you know, tonight we, we kind of wanted to take a look at uh, what this HBCU stratosphere will look like uh, post-COVID-19. So we're going to give everybody an opportunity to kind of put your uh, AB hats on tonight and kind of talk a little bit in terms of uh, theoretically what things will look like uh, once we do get back to uh, the business of HBCU athletics and we actually start watching some games. So uh, that's what we were wanting to get into tonight. One of the things I wanted to start off by asking is, you know, when we kind of look at the current climate of uh, HBCU athletics and especially post-COVID, you, you know, what do you think uh, could have the most damaging effect uh, in terms of, is it ticket sales, sponsorships, or actually that, that trickle of money that comes from state legislatures to the schools? And, and Ken, we'll start off uh, asking you this question. It, it's funny you ask because like you, and you, you, you tell me, you know, we're going to all put our AD hats on, which is, which is great. And, and this is kind of one of those times where to be quite honest with you, I don't know if I really want to be an AD. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and I say that respectfully for the simple fact that I've had a chance to obviously speak with, you know, uh, commissioners. I've had a chance to speak privately as well as, you know, in my own podcast with ADs. And I think the most sobering comment of all the people that I've talked to since this crisis started was with um, the athletic director down at Dillard. Uh, Dr. Kiki Baker Barnes. Yes, and I think the the one thing that she said out of everything that I think that sticks to me to this day right now is the fact that will our HBCUs be prepared, or or you know to to overcome any possible liability that could present itself as a result of you know trying to uh, play sports or trying to proceed with college athletics with the possibility that a student athlete may or may not become, you know, uh, infected, uh, despite all of the steps and, and, and obstacles that you might take to overcome such a possibility uh, from, from occurring, that risk is going to always be there. And, yeah. and so with respect to the answer, uh, with respect to the question, I think that's the most, um, I think that's the most difficult thing that we are going to be uh, kind of monitoring as we try to try to move forward with this. Chris, what's your take on it? Well, you know, Chuck, I want to I want to uh, echo what, what Cameron Shaw there said to some degree, but in framework of the question, I, w- I actually want to move up a notch 
and take off the AD hat and, and put on the president hat. Hmm. Uh, one, one thing about athletics, you know, it is a byproduct or a program uh, of the student body, of the student life. And in this quote unquote post COVID environment, which I don't know if there's really going to be a post to it. I think it's, it's just going to be a new way of life until we have a vaccine or some form of treatment. We're going to always be managing systems in which people gather, you know, based on the response to this. So if you, if you, if you go up a notch and just look at the general student body and then the, and, and from a presidential standpoint, uh, I don't know if there's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, one particular thing that is the, is the bigger nail than the other. I, I do think where Ken is spot on, he mentions Dillard. I think our private HBCUs are going to have a tougher task than the public ones, because at least on the public end, there's going to be some relief via state dollars, via government, you know, uh, help. Yeah. You know, even you go back to, to the FDR and the New Deal, something is going to kick in. So at least the bottom is not just a total collapse. Uh, having, having said that, you know, even if we come up with a system where, you know, you can test athletes on a Thursday and the, the results are back Friday and they can play on Saturday, you still have to factor in consumer confidence. Yeah. And, and so the the willingness of 30,000 people to show up at uh, Memorial Stadium in Jackson is a separate issue from you being able to sell the product in general. Uh, and, and so I think as it relates to athletic budgets amongst HBCUs, we have to also remember most athletic budgets, <clears throat> excuse me, are not major moneymakers. You know, football covers all the sports. Uh, football is what bails the other sports out when, when they're struggling cash wise. And so if you don't have, you know, season ticket sales, ticket sales, actual games, sponsorships for football, the ripple effect into all athletics, you know, uh, as it relates to HBCUs and their support, it could be dire. That's a great point. Mike, Mike, what's your uh, uh, thoughts in terms of what the new normal could look like? Um, that, that, that's pretty much it. Um, I, I agree with Chris on that. It's, um, you know, you're going to see a, a decline in ticket sales thanks to consumer confidence. There are going to be a lot of people who are apprehensive about stepping into a stadium with, you know, 30,000, 20,000, or even, you know, 10,000 people there. Uh, definitely in terms of sponsorships, we're going to take a hit there as corporations try to find a way to recover from this uh, sponsorships. That's kind of the low hanging fruit. So uh, a lot of those sponsorships are going to go away. Especially at some of the smaller programs, you know, if they're if they, if they represent SEC programs, conference USA programs, if there are sponsorships there, they're going to look at the, uh, the, the the lower tier programs. So that's going to be SWAC, MEAC, or just any FCS program for that matter. So mm -hmm. we'll take a hit there. Um, you want to talk about state appropriations? Uh, there's definitely going to be some changes on the legislative legislative level that are going to uh, trigger down us and have an adverse effect adverse effect on our programs as well. So um, it, it's, go, it's going to come at a small angles. And, um, you know, as Ken said, I, I would not want to be an AD right now. They are definitely going to earn their money this year. Uh, no doubt about it. And, and to follow in that same vein, I wanted to ask this question because uh, we all are very aware money games are very much a staple uh, of our HBC athletic budget. So I, I just kind of wanted to kind of look at it, it that if we get have a 2020 uh, season, is there an, an economic model that HBCUs can look at to offset that revenue uh, loss? Chris, we'll start with you. 
you know, Chuck, I think everything is going to have to be on the table. Uh, and, 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 I, and I say this HBCU-wide, you know, private or public institution, no matter the number of sports you have, again, coming, come, kind of coming from a, a presidential view versus a vice president of athletics group view, you have to put everything on the table. Uh, to, to be frank with you, there are going to be some programs that are lost, just, just like up and down Main Street. Some of the businesses are not coming back. Uh, if this thing trickles into the fall, and even if we manage to have sports in some kind of way, without that that true consumer confidence, uh, there are going to be some people, you know, that go from D1, D2. There are going to be some D2 people that just stop playing sports and focus what they can on engineering or dentistry school or what have you. Hmm. Uh, so I, th- I think to prevent that, uh, you have to put everything on the table. I think there's going to have to be a large investment in technology. You know, if you're dealing with HBCUs that don't, quote unquote, have a TV contract, uh, you're going to have to invest in some some broadband technology where you can Amen. broadcast games and, and charge fees, Amen. you know, to view them and that kind of thing. Uh, because, again, now I'm, I'm being I'm being uh, I'm being positive and thinking that there's going to be a testing mechanism to where the people that have to be at the stadium can be tested and get a quick result. And those people can gather. Uh, but without some form of vaccine or treatment or over-the-counter medication, it's going to be unrealistic for us to assume that even if the stadium opens, 30,000 tickets are going to get sold. Uh, so without that, how do you best protect people? And you protect them through mass media. You're going to have to find a way to get that game broadcast with some revenue attached to it. Uh, you're going to have to come up with other creative ways you know, to get money flowing into the coffers because – even if this thing lifts for the better tomorrow, the ripple effect has already occurred into the fall as far as people willing to gather in mass. You know, one of the biggest black events that we know is Essence. And they went from, you know, trying to hold on to July to canceling to July, September, and then just saying, you know what, after all our sponsors, we're just not going to do one in 2020. Yeah. That same model is going to happen to sports. Right. Wow. Mike, you want to take a shot at the, what 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 you think that economic model looks like? Um, as, as we discussed on a previous podcast, these are definitely uncharted waters. So, yeah. uh, there there is I don't think there's going to be an SOP or how to how to guide on um, how how to navigate this and how to manage this. Mm-hmm. Uh, each program has its own um, unique set of circumstances, and uh, it's going to be up to ads and presidents and, and leadership to kind of look at that and say, hey. Um, we don't have a season. We don't have X amount of dollars coming in that we can normally depend on. Uh, what can we scale back? What can we capitalize? What can we monetize? Maybe we need to invest in, in other programs uh, outside of athletics to, to try to uh, bring in some kind of income to, to, to sustain us. So um, it, it's going to be uh, difficult. I don't really think there's anything that um, our presidents can, can refer to to kind of uh, navigate this. So it's just going to be... Um, a, a unique experience. Sure thing. Ken, what do you think? Well, you know what? It, 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 it's it's funny. If you really think about it, already we've already we've already witnessed a small sample of how hmm. technology is going to prove worthy or valuable going forward. All you gotta do is just look at the NFL draft and how that right. was conducted. Yeah. Um there were individuals who pretty much said you know, they 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 kind of said before this all happened, they said, you know what? 
there's a possibility that we might see some things. Uh, th there may be some some things that we might witness that may not necessarily uh, some, you know, uh, unexpectations. Um, there may be some some issues where the audience may have to adjust or, or whatever the case may be. But ultimately, fast forward to the conclusion of the draft, you, there's an interview with Roger Goodell, and here he is sitting on a couch, and he's actually kind of cheesing because the draft, for the most part, based upon what I saw, pretty much went off without a hitch. Right, right. And right. as a result, Goodell <clears throat> is saying, you know what, there are some things that we took from this that we could possibly use going forward that will only improve our product or the brand of the product. So right. I, I think that right there is a small sample size of what we could expect to see. So all, all it, or what we should, you know, right. There needs to be that in, that investment with, you know, broadband. Uh, and I'll put like this, those institutions, I'm not going to call any names, but those institutions that are used to giving us free YouTube to watch those games, you might need to look at consider pay-per-view. Yeah, very much so. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I don't know how things are going to be. I, I am somewhat confident some way, somehow, they'll find a way to, to play football. And maybe later in the semester or, or, or later in the spring, I've heard all kinds of uh, examples. But as far as those games being played with a, a large number of fans, if any fans at all, they may want to consider coming in contact with some sort of a pay-per-view option that's going to uh, allow them to uh, make some money from the process. Very, very excellent point, guys. And and you guys, you touched on something uh, uh, in a previous question in terms of talking about uh, consumer confidence. And, and 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 I'll throw the caveat out there. Every fan base is different. But, you know, if if we are looking at a potential of, of fall sports being played without fans, how significant will that be towards getting uh, the hearts and minds of our HBCU fans back uh, back to the stadium, uh, back uh, engaged uh, with the HBCU athletics uh, product? Mike, I'll start off with you with that one. Um, using social media to gauge that, uh, I've seen the entire spectrum. There are some people who, you know, really don't care about this pandemic. They're going out. They, uh, they're just – they have no concern about it. And I have some people who are – who are just taking all the precautionary measures. So um, I think that's going to factor into uh, who's going to be um, coming to those games and, and, and who wouldn't if, if, if they were allowed to, uh, to, come, in, to come to those games. But uh, in terms of um, – well, you asking in terms of like, like fans not attending, correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a look at it from a standpoint of uh, if, we don't, if we don't have fans in the stadium, mm -hmm. do, do we continue to capture – uh, our, our, our our HBCU fans or the fans who follow their respective teams do uh, do will, will yeah. we have to work that much harder mm -hmm. to get them back? Uh, I don't think so. Um, you can look at the NFL draft and you can see that people they miss sports, they need sports, and uh, they they're gonna take whatever they can get. So if they were not able to attend games, I think uh, fans and alumni they'll find a way to uh, support and cheer for their program. Um, people want to get back to some normalcy, but again, I don't think I think this is about as normal as it's going to get. This is the new normal here. Um, I think uh, black college football fans still continue to support, so um, I don't think there will be any um, any apathy. I don't think I, I don't see us losing any of our fan base uh, behind this. Everybody kind of understands the situation, 
um, I don't think it will cause any kind of disinterest in our in our uh, programs. Ken, you're a longtime observer of HBCU athletics. What do you think? I, I agree. I don't think there'll be any disinterest, but I, I do believe that there is going to be a period of adjustment that I don't think anyone really has any realistic idea as to how long it's going to be. I, I look at certain nuances, you know, uh, you know, obviously you, you look at college athletics or college football specifically. And with respect to HBCUs, you know, you're looking at football. You know, what do you do about marching bands? You know, social distancing being what it is. Uh, are we going to be able to see marching bands now? How's mm. that going to work? Uh, yeah. Cheerleaders. What are we going to say about that? Uh, tailgating. Well, we know that's 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 a thing all in of itself. But the, the, the thing that I'm really curious about are those nuances, the bands in particular. And everything, all of those unique attributes that make HBCU football so unique, I am curious to know as to how or what the adjustment is going to be like going forward in the event we're in a situation to where, okay, we're going to play these games, but uh, only uh, essential individuals will be allowed to participate or, or be allowed to enter the stadium. And I guess at some point you'll have to ask yourself, who are those essential individuals? You know, right. so uh, I think that's going to probably be the most interesting or uh, thing that we'll have to look for that, to be quite honest with you, I don't think anyone really knows. That's a great point, Ken. And that brings me to my next question uh, in terms of, uh, just kind of looking at what this landscape could possibly look like. You know, there have been a lot of studies and uh, that you've had uh, quite a few researchers write about uh, the HBCU economic model. And uh, they, they will make the argument that competing at the FBS level or Division One level is not uh, conducive. Uh, to uh, making money or, or a continuous stream of revenue. And, and we've seen some teams drop down from uh, from FBS to FCS and from FCS to Division II. But, uh, you know, is now the time to seriously consider whether HBCU athletics can operate at Division I? And, and Neely, I'll start with you with that one. Chuck, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to fall back to, to what I've said feels like multiple times, you know, tonight, and, and that's that everything is on the table. Uh, you know, in the art of war, Sun Tzu said, in chaos, there's opportunity. And, and, and there is nothing more chaotic, you know, than what we're going through right now. And so we have to look for those opportunities. And you're going to have to take some approaches, you know, that, that, that you didn't think about two years ago or even 20 years ago. And, and you know, one thing, you know, Ken, that, that, that's out there is, and you and you see when you have when you have budget cuts. I don't care if it's in your household or in large organizations. Uh, financial crisis always puts you in a mode to do what you should have been doing all along. And so, and I, and I tied it to Ken's comment because you know we we see these these YouTube videos of, of games that we haven't been paying for, and now we're about to approach a status where, well, damn, we should have been charging that from day one. You know, and that was money left on the table that could be in coffers now. So we're going to have to examine everything. You know, and, you know Chuck, I know you're the you're the sports historian. Uh, but if you if you look back at the pandemic 1918, which actually went almost to 1920, it was yeah. a, it was more of a 18 month than it was a year. So it impacted multiple sports seasons. One of the things they ran into in college football, the season did get to happen. But they ran into having to adjust the schedules. Yeah. Because, yeah. because as now Ken, you know, Ken started off with his his first point was this liability issue. 
you're going to have some people on your schedule, and I'm going worst case scenario here. You're going to have some people on your schedule that you may want to play, but they don't want to play. And, and so this this notion as we get into July or August or whatever, that all oh, well, whatever we agreed to contract wise is still going to hold up when natural disasters and pandemics void contracts. Uh, so there, there is this, and I say all that to go back to the point that everything is on the table, you know, more non-conference games, playing who you can play. Hell, we had to play each other on homecoming, you know, because of a team didn't show up. So, uh, I, I don't, I won't sit here today in late April and say, well, that's not an option or this is, I think that the, 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 the top people are going to have to sit around and really put their heads together and look at different roles on how we get, Students back on campus because we have to keep in mind that athletes are students first. So we, we have to have an environment on the campus that gets students back there without the liability, as Ken touched on. Uh, who are the people at Essential? How can we play? And who do we play, whether it is in our current division, current conference? And I'm, I'm speaking HBCU wide. There, there's going to have to be a model that you're going to have to do what you can do to survive. Uh, and, and back to your previous question, and the reason I stated the way of survive, I think when we come out of this, we're going to be bigger than we were because the demand and the thirst and the hunger for what our history represents and what our product used to be. You're going to get the, the HBCUs, HBCUs season 2021 to 2022, and the stadiums will be full, you know, fuller than they ever been because people, they miss your water when you wear one's dry. So mm-hmm. the, I think this is opportunity for for HPCUs to really capture and harness you know that true love for our product after we get through this Ken what do you think what is what is our economic model going forward um uh, well obviously there's a there's a level of uncertainty and, and I don't know what the answer is and I, I can't sit up here and tell you with absolute uh certainty that I can pick pinpoint certain areas that you one should focus on in order to make that the, the economics of all of this uh, work for the betterment of any particular HBCU. I will say this, and I know this may not necessarily answer your question directly, but I, I will say this much. And I've said this, I've been, I've repeated this several times in that this pandemic everybody obviously is going to take a hit, not just HBCUs, but college athletic programs, college, you know, institutions of higher learning in general are going to all take a hit. The, 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 the thing that we're going to have to see though, or the thing that's going to be interesting to, to, to learn and discover are those institutions that for whatever reason, based upon the steps that they've either taken are taking or will take, will recover. Some are going to recover faster than others. And I think that same as 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 minute as the niche may be with respect to HBCU athletic programs, we're going to find out just how valuable the leadership of these institutions are. We're going to really see what they are about. I'm talking presidents, athletic directors, and anyone else responsible for making key decisions. Those institutions Absolutely. that and there's that possibility. Some may end up coming out better than they were previously based on the moves that we're making right now, but we're going to find out who those individuals are who have shown leadership and basically how they're going to be able to, you know, th- those institutions that are going to be able to come out of this better than, than they were when, when they, when they, you know, went into this, this pandemic. No doubt about it. Mike, I know you feel strongly about this, this question. Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I, I know this is something that that, that Chuck, you and I, we we discussed that nauseum. Um, I, I think I think now is definitely going to be um, a time and a place where there are a lot of our programs, probably all of our programs, are going to have to take a long look in the mirror and say, "Hey, can can we sustain at the Division One level? Can does what we have coming in does it take care of what's going out?" A lot, a lot of programs are going to have to do that, and I get that. That's fine. That's the responsible thing to do. However, my, my disclaimer is, is that if you decide that you're going to drop down to a Division II, uh, <laughs> that's not really a hard reset. It's not a short-term fix. I believe it, it's um, it, it's permanent. That's going to be uh, your, your new permanent address because uh, once you drop down, it, it's going to be harder to, to, to get back up to the FCS level. So you can't say, hey, we'll you know, drop down, we'll, you know, stay here three, five, ten years and then work on getting back up into into the SWAC or the MEAC or even if those conferences are still around at that time. So uh, you're gonna have to look at it and say, hey, if this, if we if we if we're gonna go division two, this is it. This that's that's not a short term release. You own that home. That's your new home now. You know, buy furniture, get settled in because you're gonna be there. And uh, so I think that's the uh, the disclaimer that, that I put out there for who's at, if, programs have to do that but uh again it is necessary it is necessary to have a discussion as to whether or not it's financially safe for us to be um a, an lcs program that conversation does have to happen i agree with that undoubtedly you you know uh prior to this this covid crisis uh north carolina and t uh, they made a move from the the, the MIAC. and I, I guess looking back in in hindsight is is it is is it is it good timing for such a move? Do you potentially see some sort of ripple effect uh, in terms of what our new normal might be? Uh, Ken, I'll, I'll start with you with that. Well, with respect to A and T, uh, I think a lot of thought and planning went into that dis- went into that decision to leave the MEAC to go to the Big South. So I, I think A and T is going to be fine. Uh, you know, that's not that's not a move that they made lightly. And I guess when you look at, I mean, look, A and T did what A and T had to do for A and T. I understand that that wasn't a popular decision. You know, those of us who are traditionalists, if you will. Who, who enjoy having programs like a, uh, A&T uh, being affiliated with an HBCU conference and to see them to go out and, and to manhandle these FCS, uh, you know, non-PWI uh, institutions doing what they've been able to do consistently. You know, we take pride in that. But again, the, a- the, the move that A&T made, you know, this is, a, this is business. And so to answer your question, I don't think that the, the pandemic is going to have any ripple effect or any uh, uh, impact on A&T. Um, if anything, I guess the greater question would be with A&T leaving, and with the pandemic being what it is right now and, and not necessarily knowing all there is to know about what's going to happen in the future. I guess the larger question would be or my, my issue would be is the MEAC as a conference. And, right. And members, member schools individually prepared uh, to, I guess, fill that void, you know, if if such a void exists. A great point. And, and that's kind of what I was alluding to in terms of uh, our conferences uh, as a whole. Are they ready to, uh, you know, uh, move forward in, in this post 
uh, COVID-19 sort of stratosphere. Uh, Chris, to kind of ask you the kind of same question, do you do you see some sort of domino effect in terms of, of, of maybe some conference realignment? I, I, I do, uh, but it, it's, it's not so much a direct indictment uh, on conferences, their makeup, or their individual leadership as much as it is uh, an indictment on, you know, the America we live in. Uh, we have all been born, raised, and living understanding that when white America has a cold, black America has the flu. Well, now we're in a situation where white America has the flu and black America has the coronavirus. Things just always hit us harder. And so if our PWI counterparts are having to do reshuffling, refiguring, consolidations, you name it, whatever may be on their tables, I can only imagine there's going to be a multiplier effect like that for us. Uh, as it relates to a and you know, hindsight being 2020, they probably moved, and it, as Kim was saying, that was something well thought out and well in the works, but they probably moved just in time mm. because now mm. they're somewhere, you know, with a, with a little more ground under their feet. Uh, yeah. and, you know, we, we are all part of associations, HBCU networks, where, you know, your, your true strength is, is pretty much tied to the weakest link. Uh, and so if you if you go somewhere where there's stronger links, as Kim was saying, you know, a and did what was best for A&T, uh, no matter how you look at it from a, a HBC or a MEAC standpoint. Uh, I am, I'm confident uh, in, I'll just talk about the SWAC for a second. I'm confident in our SWAC leadership that uh, we'll make some some tough right decisions, you know, to get through this. Uh, but I'm also, you know, more than anything, fellas, I'm, I'm confident in capitalism. Uh, and I think, you know, that that capitalism and the need for the economy is going to drive solutions. You know, uh, mother necessity is the is uh, necessity is mother invention. Uh, and if you look at on the big boy level, not collegiate, but professional uh, in the 2019 numbers, the NBA, uh, NHL and MLB from March to June in 2019, they generated $1.3 billion just in advertising revenue from their broadcasts. So that's three sports, NBA, hockey, and baseball, from March to June, $1.3 billion just in advertising and broadcasting. And that's now gone for this year because there was no baseball, hockey, or basketball from March to June. That $1.3 billion becomes a $6 billion hole if we don't have college football broadcasts. So I'm comfortable with that the think tanks out there are going to find a way that we at least can get sports televised and broadcast, you know, to to make up for these these holes that are going to occur. And the reason that attaches to your question, Chuck, is it's the holes occurring that cause us to have to make drastic decisions. So if we can be if we can begin to fix this thing economically, such as broadcasting games with only the essential people there and and. And, and Ken, God forbid it, uh, might be too. I don't know if, if the bands are essential to the broadcast. Mm. I don't. You know, bands are more atmospheric for the stadium. If there's nobody in the stadium, this thing might just be the football teams and the referees that we see on TV. Uh, you know, it, it's it's just a bigger picture than, than what we're able to uh, think about or forecast in April that's going to have to be figured out. Uh, but from an economic standpoint and how that drives decisions, uh, I think, Chuck, if we can fix and tweak the economy and how we can bring revenue in, that puts us in a position to make better decisions because we're not making decisions just totally out of dire circumstances. 
we're making what's best for the long run versus, oh, my, what are we going to do for this season or this season and a half? And, and I just want to just for clarification, I, I, I am in agreement. I, I just wanted to make it clear that I, I too, agree that bands and cheerleaders and all the, uh, the, the auxiliary uh, things that we see around the stadium and in, in game day, those are not essential. My, my, my point was like yours, that someone is going to have to make the hard decision to to come to that conclusion, you know, and that may not necessarily be a popular conclusion is my point. But right. I, you know, I want to make clear. I'm not I'm not saying that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. I, 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 appreciate your, I appreciate your clarity. Right. And I didn't mean to make make it the opposite. But I was attaching that to when you started us off with the clear issue of liability. Right. You know, the more people you put in the situation, the greater the risk. Right. Right. Uh, and so we're trying to broadcast a football game to get revenue in from our streams or from our, our telecast. I don't know that 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 the risk of cheerleaders and bands is is uh, one that we can mitigate by having just the football there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and with that being said, that is um, that, that that is a potential threat in terms of um, alumni apathy. Uh, with the bands not being able to participate because as we look at college football, you know, th- that's a big part of what we do. It- it's almost a part of our identity uh, in-, in black college football games. And uh, we have fans and we have alumni who are just as passionate about that. And without the bands being able to participate, uh, th- there is a potential threat for for us to lose a portion of our fan base. Uh, might not be permanent, but for a, a-, a-, a period of time at, at, the- at the least. Guys, you guys made some tremendous points. Uh, are there any final uh, thoughts or any uh, closing statements that you guys wanted to follow up on with tonight's topics? Yeah, I, I think one thing that we we have to take away from this uh, is the positive course that we're on. You know, we were we were able to you know close schools. Uh, we were able to get kids off campus. We were able to mitigate the impact of this thing that, that it was going to have on the human capital uh, and lives of our student bodies. You're looking back on it. Uh, I remember recording a podcast, you know, hours or mere days after we canceled the SWAC tournament and what a gut blow that was. And and now a month and a half later, you look back on it with different lens and realize how prudent it was to cancel. And and so I think it's the same thing going forward. I think HBCUs are going to survive. I think we'll get through this. Uh, I think there are going to be some examples where we don't get through this together. They, they, you know, there are going to be some, you know, higher ed is a business. There are going to be some businesses that are going to have to uniquely challenge their models. There are going to be some businesses that may go out of business. But I think the love for HBCUs will only get stronger after this. Uh, so I'm, I'm just confident that we'll get through this pandemic. You know, guys, I'd be remiss if I did not uh, touch on the passing of a legend one of the most iconic figures in the history of, of Alcorn State Athletics and the SWAC as a whole, uh, a man who was simply known as the godfather, the great Marino Kassem passed away at his home uh, this past Saturday at the age of 85. And you're talking about a head football coach at Alcorn for 22 years. And he also served as the director of athletics for 20 years uh, at, at Southern University. So I definitely wanted to Close out tonight by having a moment of silence for the man known as the Godfather, Marino Castle.
Well, thank you all once again for joining us tonight on the Tiger Talks with the 1400 Club. And be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast. Apple users, rate and review the show. And everyone, follow Tiger Talk with the 1400 Club on Facebook. It all helps the cause, which is Z. I love Jackson State University. I'm Charles Bishop. Good night, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.